Good morning, OCC. How you doing? Hey, if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only take one book with you, what book would you choose? That question was asked of a number of literary figures and authors at a convention a little over 100 years ago. And the answers started trickling in from them. Well, I'd take the complete works of Shakespeare. And then others began saying other famous works again and again. One said, well, of course, I would take the Bible. And then G.K. Chesterton, a famous theologian and author who was at that convention, was asked. They looked at him and said, well, Chesterton, how about you? Now, Chesterton was a man of devout faith, a strong and robust Christian. And so many would assume, as you might, that he would agree with the statement, I'd take the Bible with me. But Chesterton's response, Howard's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. (laughs) Because when you're stranded on an island, you want a resource to help you get home. When you're trapped, you want something that's going to help save you. Friend, have you ever felt trapped? Have you ever felt stranded somewhere? One author says, we are all stranded on an island, an I land, where we are limited to our own thoughts and our own desires and our own ways. And so we are stuck in our own thought patterns and practices. And oftentimes our thought practices and our patterns lead to destructive results and a destructive end. Listen, friend, we are all trapped and we are all in need of saving. This world is not our home and we are only passing through. And that, after the events of this last week, might sound like really good news, amen? But we all are journeying somewhere and we all need a guide to help us get home. And God is good and has given us that guide in the Bible. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. And as I say that, some of you are thinking, oh man, we're going to read the longest chapter. We're not going to read the whole thing, so don't worry. But we are going to take a look at some segments of Psalm 119 today, which is all about the word of God, all about what God's voice and God's word is for us. So Psalm 119 says this, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word illumines the right path for us. God's word guides us in the way of righteousness. It guides us in the way of protection. It guides us in the way of salvation, salvation that we find only through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. It guides us in our way home to heaven. The Bible offers us instruction and guidance. It gives us encouragement and hope. It illumines our path toward God. We believe that the awesome life is a life that is lived as God would design us to live. And because of that, the Bible then shows us how to do that, how to live as God has designed us to live. The Bible reveals the path to that awesome life that God has designed for us. The Bible's also very honest about our human condition, about our propensity to turn away from God, to go our own way, to go on our own path, and to wander off the path from God, our propensity to do our own thing. And when we wander away from God, the path we take instead often leads to a destructive place, not to an awesome ending, but an awful ending. We all are going to choose one of two paths, ultimately. They're going to lead to one of two places. You're either on the path to an awesome ending or an awful ending. Either heaven or hell. Either to be with God or to be without him. And there is no in-between. 
And God's word shows us the path we need to go on. Now, sin knocks us off that path. Sin knocks us off course. And for some people, it's just a blatant dismissal and disregard for God and his word and his ways. And an arrogance that stands opposed to God and says, I don't need you and I don't want you. But for many, for many of us, the challenge is a little more subtle. It's not a blatant disregard for God. It's just that we've given ourselves to too many things and we live a divided life. We're pulled in multiple directions at once. It's not that we've dismissed God. It's that we have not fully dismissed all the things in our life that would compete with God for the primary affection of our hearts, for the primary place of residency in our life. We haven't yet dismissed all those things, those idols and desires that would challenge God's sovereignty, God's lordship and leadership in our life. And so we're pulled in so many different directions. We wrestle with this tension of wanting to live for God, but we don't really want to stop living for the things of this world also. And so we're pulled back and forth. We, we might have claimed a salvation experience with Jesus, but we find it difficult to live consistently, to walk consistently with him. And so we desire intimacy with God with one breath, and then we turn away from him with the next. We, we want to be generous, but then we hoard and we covet. We, we want to serve other people, but we really like it when they serve us. We want to bring all of our life in line with what God has for us. We, we want to, to offer God our lives, our bodies, to be healthy. And then we eat cookies and donuts and pizza and ice cream and french fries and we constantly are back and forth with this internal war and it's exhausting at times because we live this divided life and so the answer to a divided life is a simplified life to live with simplicity and simplicity means just aligning all of our desires all of our interests into one focus it doesn't mean we can't have many different interests and many different hobbies and different things that we're passionate about. But we bring all of those together, integrated into one sole purpose, the purpose of bringing glory and honor to God through our lives. And when we do that, we find joy. We find a refreshment of life. Simplicity is simply an undivided life. And one of the purposes of the Bible, one of its purposes, is to show us how to do that. Let's return to Psalm 119. How can a young person keep his way pure? By aligning his life to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. About 120 verses later, the psalmist continues, guide my steps by your word so I will not be overcome by evil. Guide my steps. I want to be pure. Now, now, this purity that God calls us to, this purity that he invites us to, is really to be purely human. That's the invitation, to find ourselves being purely human, humanity as God designed it, human as he created us to be, undefiled, uncontaminated, undivided by our sin. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, to live a life like that, wouldn't that be great? See, a, a pure life is an undivided life. It's a life where all of our interests are integrated. Instead of dividing us, leading us, and pulling us to different places, they take us to the same place. The, the psalmist says we can pursue that kind of life in the kingdom of God. He says we can pursue that kind of life by living according to God's word, aligning our lives to his word by hiding his word in our heart. When his word gets 
hidden in our heart. It means it's stored there like a treasure. And, and notice where we are to hide it. Not, not just in our minds, not just in our thoughts, but in our hearts, in the seat of our affection, in, in the place for what we love and what we desire most. Throughout this psalm, and actually throughout the psalms and throughout scripture, the authors of the Bible use phrases like, I love your word, I delight in your commands, I find joy there, it's sweeter than honey. It's, they use these phrases that it's joy, it's sweetness, it's good, and they find happiness with God's word, that it's not oppressive and it's not something that God is forcing upon us, but it's more of a gift he's offering to us. So for us to make life awesome, for us to choose habits that would help us lean into an awesome life, one of those indispensable habits is to immerse ourselves in God's word in the Bible and then to let it take up residency in us, to let it fill us. It's not enough. If we're not careful, we, we, we can just study and leave it there. But the problem with just studying is sometimes we, we just leave that as an academic endeavor. And while a systematic and regular study of God's word is good, we don't want to just leave it at an academic level. We can get information but miss out on transformation. So as important as it is to read and study the Bible, we need to take it one step further and to meditate on the Bible, to let it sink into us, to seep into our lives. The psalmist says this, he says, I will study your commandments and meditate on your ways. I honor and love your commands. There it is. I love your commands. And I meditate on your decrees. To ensure that we allow God's word to flow from our minds to our hearts, to make that shift down into us, instead of just being academic, just being informational, to allow it to become transformational, we need to practice the spiritual habit of meditation. Because meditation is the bridge between information and transformation. It's when God's word makes it from just knowing to believing, to changing, to doing something in us. Now, this idea of meditation can sound a little strange sometimes we mention it in the church because we've been inundated with this Eastern religious idea of what meditation is. But, but meditation that we're talking about here is not reserved for gurus reciting mantras in the lotus position. So often the Eastern religion meditation is focused on totally emptying ourselves and emptying our minds so that we can become one with all around us. That's not what we're pursuing. Christian meditation is really giving sustained attention to something, to allow it to fill us and to change us, to, to so focus on it with a laser focus that it becomes part of us. So it's not to empty, but to fill, to fill ourselves with God's word, to fill ourselves with what he says and to allow that into us. So meditation is giving attention. So today I wanna to offer you a few helpful tips on Christian meditation, how we would meditate on God's word. And the first one, you might guess this, is to begin with prayer. After all, we're reading God's word. It's, it's the word of God. So we wanna begin by inviting God to meet us there, that we would hear his voice through his word. Hear him speak to us and, and ask him to help us quiet all the other noise, all the other things that would compete for our attention, all the other voices speaking to us, all the other noise of this world that we would quiet that and still ourselves so we can hear from God, acknowledging that he is there with us, that he's given us this word for us, to us, for our good. And so we want to meet with him there. It's really less about God hearing our voice and more about us hearing his as we 
pray to engage him in the scriptures. And, and we remember at this point that, that transformation is not something we're gonna do. We, we can't just conjure this up. But transformation is what God does in us. It's allowing God to have his way in us and allowing him to change us from the inside. So we begin with prayer. And as we approach, we, we then read the Bible in a repentant spirit. We read it ready to believe what it says and to obey what it says, to surrender ourselves to God, to submit all of life to him. You may have known people like I have who spend a whole lot of time reading the Bible, but they read it just for information. They read it to try and prove it or disprove it, to prove a point or just to, to accumulate info and to, to know what it says. And they're really Bible smart, but they seem kind of Jesus stupid, if you know what I mean. Like they're smart about what the Bible says, but it hasn't really changed them. We, we can all engage the Bible in a way just to learn information about it. We can know all the different facts and things that are in there. But at the end of the day, the question we got to ask is, how is this changing me? Remember, the Pharisees knew the scriptures, but they did not live them well. Have you ever heard anyone give a compliment to somebody by calling them a know-it-all? Like, that is never used as a compliment, is it? We hear somebody say, well, they're know-it-all. That's usually a condescending statement. So just getting the information from God's word is not what we're after. See, it's not just about getting into the Bible. It's about getting the Bible into us, letting it get through us and change us and transform us. After all, what good is it to know what the Bible says about humility if we never allow it to rid us of our pride? What good is it to know what the Bible would say about love if we never stop hating our neighbor? What good is it to know what the Bible says about mercy? if we never allow it to challenge our judgmentalism? What is it to know what the Bible says about peace if we never allow it to quench our anger and stop us on the war path? What is it to know what the Bible says about Jesus if we never surrender to him and allow him to be the leader in our life, to acknowledge him as savior of our souls? So we pray and we read in a repentant spirit and then we meditate on a fairly brief passage. I, I wanna encourage you to, to choose a small passage to meditate on. Now that doesn't mean just read a small passage, though that could be helpful. Usually around this time of year, I find that a lot of people, especially in the church say, well, I wanna read through the Bible in a year. And so they, they take this goal and that's a really good goal. I encourage people to pursue that goal, to read through the Bible in a year, to get through the whole Bible to understand what it says. But sometimes our really good goals can become really misguided and we begin just missing out on what it's about because there's so much there. And we choose a reading plan and then we're just checking the box. Well, I read today and I checked the box and God should be happy because I read the Bible. But we don't really ask the question of ourselves, what did it do in me? Did it change me? Did it affect me? Sometimes we can move through so much scripture. And let's be honest, some passages of scripture are a little bit more challenging than others. Reading through Leviticus might not seem as life-giving as reading the parables of Jesus. But it's still God's word. It's still good for us. And so we, we narrow it down. We choose this section of scripture. And, you know, I, I even encourage people when they come to a book of the Bible to read through the entire book in one sitting to get the broad picture. But then to go back and read it slowly and to take small chunks. Remember, the goal is not just to get all the way through scripture, but to get scripture into us. So as we do that, as we take this one smaller passage, we meditate on it, then we break it down even smaller. We take one thought or one verse and we take that with us throughout the day. 
we just begin mulling it over, taking one thought, chewing on that one thought. This means we gotta take our time. Transformation is not a microwavable process. You, you can't just, boom, we're transformed. It takes time to happen. And so does meditation. So we take our time with it and we allow the scriptures to, to work on us and to be at work in us and to change us. One of the suggestions I would have is to engage all of your senses. When you read a story in the Bible, imagine yourself there. What did it sound like and feel like? What did you hear? What would you taste? What was it like to be there? And then as you read, read aloud, engage not just your eyes, but your ears as well. Even do the old school thing. You find a verse that sticks out to you, a verse you want to memorize. And I encourage you to memorize a verse. And then you do the old school thing with pen and paper. You write it out. It engages your senses in a different way. You, you remember it better and it comes more alive to you. One of the Hebrew words for meditation is the word hagah. Hagah. H-A-G-A-H. Hagah. It's the same word they would use to describe a cow chewing its cud. So I apologize in advance. I asked my wife and my kids if I should do this. I'm like, no, it's disgusting, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, because you got to hear this, right? It's, it's onomatopoeia. When a cow would chew its cud, this is why they have the word hagah. Hagah. I'll stop because I can see the face. It's like, Fitz, don't do that anymore. But you get the idea, right? Like you get the idea. A cow chewing, cows don't have good table manners. So it's chewing its cud. It's mulling over this thing. It's just chewing on it and chewing on it. Hagah, hagah, hagah. And that's this word that we would take God's word and we would chew on it throughout the day. It's a word that's, it's onomatopoeia, which is one of my favorite words because it just is fun. Onomatopoeia. Uh, onomatopoeia is, is when we use a word to like describe a sound, to, to, to be in place of a sound for us. Kind of like here in our American language, we would use the word sizzle, right? To describe that sound. Or boom, or kapow. I feel like I'm in the old Batman TV show right now, right? Some of you, if you don't know what that means, just Google it. You'll see Adam West, he's fun. So you get this word, you get this idea that it's onomatopoeia, this, this Haggah is to chew on God's word. And we see throughout the scriptures, these phrases that come up again, that I, I delight in your law, I delight in your word both day and night, throughout the day, all the day long, in the morning, in the evening, all the day. These phrases come up again and again and again through the Psalms and the other writings, that they would delight in God's word and they would mull on, they would take one phrase and just chew on it again and again and again, letting it sink into them. And one of the ways to do that is to take a verse or a part of a verse and to chew on it, to look at each word independently in that verse. What does this mean to us? What is it saying to us? So for example, if we were to look at Colossians 3.16, which is all about the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, we would read this emphasizing each word independently in this. So I'm going to invite you to do that with me. We're going to read through this several times and you'll get the idea. So as I... Now, just we're, we're going to emphasize the word that's underlined and in yellow. So here we go. Three, two, one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So that tells us, let. I have a choice in this. I have to allow it. I can choose to make this happen or not. All right. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's the word, definitive. Not a word, not some word, but the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. It's the word God spoke to us. It's his voice to us. We should hear it and see it. Let the word of Christ 
dwell in you richly. Not the word of the pundits and the news media and the social media and even all the people who surround us. Not the word of the talk shows and all the other stuff. Not the word of certainly the enemy who would want to lie to you, to deceive you. But let the word of Christ, your savior, the one who loves you, who gave his life for you, let his word dwell in you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell, to take up residency, to, to be at home there, to, to live in you, to, to have a home within you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, not just to dwell in a book on the coffee table or the nightstand or even the pages of the Bible, but let it dwell in you, not, not just in your parents or your siblings or your church or your friends or your Christian school or, or even your minister. Let it dwell in you. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love this word. This richly is not like, like prosperity and money. But it's like if you've ever been given a piece of cake and you take a bite and you're like overwhelmed by it. And I've got a sweet tooth, so when this happens to me, I know it's really rich. But you take a bite and you're like, wow, that is rich. I'm not even sure I can finish this thing. There is so much sugar and there's so much sweetness packed in there. It's just so overwhelming to my senses. Wow, that bite was rich. Let God's word live in you that way, that it's just overwhelming, sweetening, satisfying, overtaking you that his word would live and dwell in you that richly. And then as you do this, it will become part of your memory. And that's really the thing is to take it with you and allow this thought to become part of who you are, to allow it to be in you. Now, I know when I mentioned memorization, that's like some of you like red flags are like, man, I have a tough time memorizing things. It's just so hard. And I get that. Memorization comes tougher for some people than it does for others. So what I've learned though, is that we all memorize things all the time, even without trying. The more we hear it, the more we see it, even the more we say it, the more we memorize it. I know this because I hear songs come on the radio and you hear songs from me and you can finish the song. So for example, if I were to give you these lyrics, you would be able to finish the next statement. I drove my Chevy to the, and the levee was, yeah, you know, the levee was dry. Or haters gonna, yeah, even the older people got that one. Or don't stop believing, hold on to that. Yeah, now you're all going to be like, oh, I got to listen to Foreigner Journey on the way home. Or with movie quotes, right? We go to the movie quotes. Hakuna? Yeah. To infinity? <laughs> yeah, some of you got pretty excited about that one. For the older crowd. Frankly, my dear, I don't think any of you should finish that statement because we're in church. That's not appropriate at all, man. But you know exactly what he says, don't you? Or for all of us in the room, Luke, I am your. I am, but you didn't say it right. You know, like, you know, you got that James Earl Jones, right? You got to, well, you're right. Like, Luke, I am your father, which is strangely appropriate because now there's a Bible app, an audio version of the Bible where James Earl Jones reads the Bible to you. Really cool. But I feel like Darth Vader, somehow the dark side is bringing it to me. But what does it say, right? Like meditation might be easier than we think. So what does it say if we know all these pop culture references, but we don't know the word of God that much? What are we listening to, seeing, hearing, repeating most often? There are things to help us with this. One of the best apps I can mention to you is the Bible Memory app. It's a free app. You go to the app store, download it, and use it. Super user-friendly and super helpful. I encourage you to have that because I encourage you 
to hide God's word in your heart this way by memorizing it. And when you memorize it, once you get it into your mind, let it get into your heart, talk about it with others, share it with friends, share it with family, let it come to mind. When you're faced with troubles, allow it to comfort you. When you're faced with temptation, allow God's word to give you strength to resist. When you're faced with all kinds of things, let God's word speak to you, let the Holy Spirit bring it back. But here's the thing, if it's not hidden in there, the Holy Spirit doesn't have a whole lot to work with. You gotta give some help to God if you wanna live that awesome life. See, the more we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, then the more it becomes part of us, the more it gets into us. It seeps into our DNA and becomes part of us. It's kind of like if you got tea and you put a bag in the water and it seeps out and that water becomes tea. It changes what it is. We have a new word for it. It's no longer like water with tea bag. It's just tea. And it's hard to untea this water. It's in there. It's changed. It's It's transformed because it seeps in there and it dwells. But if you just dip the tea bag in, you just dip it in a little bit, not a whole lot of transformation going on, not a whole lot of change. It's going to take a whole lot of time of just a little dip here and there for this water to get transformed. In fact, at this point, that's neither tea nor water. That's just gross, right? And none of us want that. But if I leave this tea bag in there for a while, After a while, it's going to start changing the color of that water. It's going to start changing the flavor, and it's going to transform it. If we allow God's word to dwell in us, it transforms us. It changes us. So, friend, the question is, do we just dabble with God's word, or do we allow it to saturate us and saturate our lives and transform who we are to change us into someone new? Because here's the deal. When we are saturated by God's word, it does transform us. So we believe the awesome life is living the life that God has designed us to live. And we believe the Bible reveals the path to that awesome life. But it doesn't just reveal the path to life. It doesn't just reveal what God wants us to do and say and think and believe and how he wants us to act and be good, nice people and be nice to that. No, no, no. Like scripture does so much more than that because scripture reveals who God is. It reveals God to us. We find God in his word. It's his voice. When my wife and I were in college, before we were Marion, before we were engaged, we lived apart from each other and we didn't have, we didn't have the cell phones and we didn't even have good calling plans. We, so we wrote a whole lot of letters back and forth. I've kept most of those letters. And my hope during that whole time, two summers in a row when we were separated from each other, thousands of miles apart, was that she would hear my voice, not just see these words and okay, I've read his letter, that's good. We got, a, we got a relationship there. Now that she would hear it and see it and hear my heart for her, see my love for her, that it would win her and transform her. Now, I'm a lucky guy because it did at some level. She appreciated those letters. See, when, when we get into scripture, scripture reveals God's heart to us. It reveals his love for us. It shows us his love. It shows us his character. It shows us his mercy. And so here's the really cool thing. That that means that once God's word gets into us, that we then, with scripture in us, with it dwelling in us, that we begin to reflect God's heart, that we begin to show his love, to show his mercy, to show his character. And that means that even when the world is at its worst, that because we serve an awesome God, that, that when this world is awful and we know what awful looks like, we've seen it again this week. And it's not just out there somewhere. We know that it lives in us, that there's awful in us. And when we come face to face with the awful in this world, in us or around us, that because we serve an awesome God, that we can bring the awesome, that because God's word is in us, transforming us, that that it changes us, that we are able 
to reveal the awesomeness of God as scripture dwells in us and fills us and seeps out of us. So that means that when the world is awful, we can bring the awesome. When we are face to face with evil, we can bring righteousness. When we are face to face with hate, we can bring love. When we are in the midst of the chaos, we can bring the calm. When we are face to face with injustice, we can bring peace and love. When we see sorrow, we can bring comfort. When we see, when we see brokenness and hurting, we can bring healing. When we see anger, we can bring patience and to lust, we offer self-control. And to those who are despondent and in despair, we can bring hope because that's what God's word does because that's who God is. And when it takes up residence in us, then wherever we see awful, we are able to bring the awesome because we're able to bring and reveal the awesomeness of God. So friend, to that end, to that end, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us your word, that your word is timeless and true. We thank you. We thank you that we can meet you in your word. That your word doesn't just reveal a list of do's and don'ts for us, but it reveals who you are, your character, your love, your mercy. It reveals the path of salvation. It reveals how much you love us. And God, I pray that today for for all those who are with us, either in this room or online, who have never encountered you, who've never met you in the pages of scripture, that they would be drawn to you even now. God, that they would see you there that they would see your love for them there and their need for you, their need to repent and their need to follow you because that's the best thing for them. And God, I pray that we as your church, as your people would be people of one book, of your word, that you would be on display in our lives because we are so attuned with you and aligned with you because we have so immersed ourselves in your word and filled it, let, let it fill our lives. And so God, may this be true of us, that we are filled with your word and filled with your love and that we put your awesomeness on display every day. It's in Jesus we pray these things.